Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, sideline junkies are back. Tuesday night flight. We are here and ready to rock. Uh, got the midnight rider Ben, myself, the big guy KG. We are here to bring you the consistently consistent podcast <laughs> that is us. So, uh, first and foremost, like we do every night, how you feeling? I'm good, man. Just try and get comfortable, get ready to watch some games. Um, hopefully the games don't end up watching me. So mm. we get to go, man, because you got a little bit of college basketball tonight, a little pro. I mean, pros are off, but college is going tonight. So I kind of want to see Georgetown. I think they start off with uh, somebody small, like um, like a St. Leo's or something like that. They get, they get one of the John Thompson payday games. Yeah, and you know what? That's what I was about to say. I said, see, Patrick Ewan. He got to learn. Big John never played nobody big until conference play. Right. You know, you play all the, you play little sisters of the poor and, 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 you know, way with home for boys and stuff like that to start the season off. Cause all you need is 15 wins. Well, all you did need was 15 wins to be uh NCAA tournament eligible, but that's the way to do it. And he got on his son about this. And I don't know what kind of scheduling you doing. I never scheduled no dag on Clemson the first, first month. No, we right. good. Uh, but speaking of which, in college basketball, before we get to our first topic, Maryland handed Niagara uh, a, a systematic ass whooping. I believe it was last night. And um, damn. Okay. The, I mean, the new era has started. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but it's Niagara. So Niagara is going to be good in their conference most of the time. If they got a senior guard or a junior guard that's been there for four or five years, they'll get in the tournament and cause problems as a 16 or 15 seed. You know, they'll make it a nice ball game, and that's it. So I think Merlin got a good start. I was listening to um, their head coach on the radio, kind of like some of his talk, some of the things he was talking about. He mentioned that he didn't want to be here and have success as just a one-year thing or, like, every so often it's a one-year thing. He wanted to definitely create and build a, a, a sustained culture uh, so that can last for a long time. He want to be uh, in the vein of the great lefty Giselle. He want to be in the vein of the great right. Gary Williams. So right. even Mark Turgeon had a couple runs early on. He had a couple Mark, good runs. Worst thing that happened to Turge was um, that 2020 season didn't go through because I think that would have bought him a lot, the cachet, and then that team coming back would have had more confidence. Yeah. They would have played better. Yeah. And he had some talented guys, a lot of guys. Uh, Quite a few guys that left a little too early, in my opinion. Diamond Stone, uh, Mellow Trimble. Well, Mellow Trimble had to, no, no, Mellow Trimble was the, the opposite, he stayed a year too long. Uh, so, Mellow Trimble is sophomore year. I was like, go because your stock's mm. never gonna get any higher. And then, after his junior year, when he did leave, I remember posting the passport because I was like, this is where his future NBA his career is going to be, is overseas somewhere, and he needs a passport to get to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Agreed. At first, I thought he was going to be a good backup guard, kind of like in the vein of a – I'm going to say this name for Wizards fans, a Ishmith, a guy that bounced around, played for about 10 or 12 years, and um, just be, you know, productive. I didn't think of him as anything more, but he didn't even get that. You know, speaking of Merlin guards, and I know we're going down a rabbit hole early. I just want to throw this name out, and we're going to put a pin in it. Nah, we're good because that's, I mean, that could be our basketball content. We're good. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Tamir Goodman, the Jewish Jordan. Oh, God. 
And I was telling uh, Dario about. It. I was like, Dario, because uh, it's a guy down in the G League. They say he's trying to be the first Jewish player to play in the NBA. Yeah, I saw that earlier. I can't think of his name. But I know you told me. I, I said, wait. Think about this. I mean, we had Tamir Goodman in Maryland. Like this dude was balling and killing in in in, in high school. And then they wanted to make up a rule that he couldn't wear his yarmulke. And I was like, man, let that man do what he do. Let him ball. But we got it. We it's so many stars man, that came was, out of Merlin. To me, Goodman, and I I don't know, man. That was I saw him in the I think that year I watched the Capitol Classic. I he got exposed. Mm. Um, he he got exposed bad. Um I just thought he was in one of the conferences where he was the best player on the it was like you know what is Will Smith. And the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, that episode where he's playing basketball, and like the coach is like, they're like, give it the wheel. just give it the wheel. That's what I felt like Tamir Goodman had. He was just giving it to me, and yeah. Well, shoot. They, I would I love mean, to see his box score. That's like Akil Carr. I thought Akil Carr was going to be one of the best small guards to ever come out of this area. I thought he was going to be the next, he was going to be the, you know, we talk about guards in Maryland, we talk about Muggsy Bowes, you talk about Sam Cassell. You talk about Steve Francis, Juan Dixon, these guys that came from the area. I thought a kill car was gonna be the next one. I thought he was gonna be the next one. If you don't know the answer to this, don't worry about it. It's what was the short guard's name for GW? Oh shit. Um, I know who you're talking about. Um Shantae Rogers. There we go. All right. I couldn't call the name. I was trying to call him everything but Shantae Rogers, but I knew but yeah, that's what I thought. And then he was another one when I saw him. I was just like, ooh, his problem is he likes to shoot way too much. And I just thought, because I saw him his senior year in high school, I think, because uh, he's playing with a kid that um, Emmanuel Mogbo, this kid that we had, um, he ended up going there and being like the fifth option. And good thing for that kid is he actually turned out to have a decent career in basketball. But, yeah, that's just one of those things where, when I saw him, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work because I don't know if an NCAA coach or NBA coach is going to let you have this many shots. Yeah, that's true. And then also you got to look at it as his size. It's kind of like Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas on the offensive end, if he was six foot four, he'd be one of the best players in the league. But Isaiah Thomas is what, 5'9"? No, Isaiah is a legit 6'1". Really? Yeah, legit. We t- I, I, we talking. Him, we, I'm I'm not talking Zeke. I'm talking IT. Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. <laughs> no, I'm talking, talking IT. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, wait. And no, I, I said Zeke is actually six foot four. Okay. No, 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 no. Zeke is six three. Joe Dumas is six four. Okay. So nah, you know. that Isaiah Thomas, I thought yeah. he caught lightning in a bottle. Um. In Boston, and I knew the second he was coming back, it wasn't going to be the same anymore. They did him dirty in Boston. They had no good luck since. But a kill car, and I, I I didn't mention Gravis Vasquez, another good guard that came out of Maryland. When Demontrose Christian with uh him and uh Kevin Durant played together at Montrose Christian, I thought he was going to do way better. He had a pretty decent career, but Gravis. not as good as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, I think Gravis is the. He and like a guy like Tyler Hansborough, um, they're all hustle guys. It's gonna look good on the college level because you're mucking it up, and the, every team in college doesn't have five real good players. You know what I'm saying? You got some guys that you can get away with. You can let this guy do this. You can let this guy do this. 
and I just thought to step up in the NBA. He he maintained about a four or five year career, maybe a little bit longer. I think maybe six. I know he's gonna get a pension range. though. But he he he. I knew Gravis was gonna struggle because I don't think he ever got a consistent shot. Like he could score and he could hustle, but like uh, at a certain point, some of that stuff goes just doesn't translate. My thing with Gravis when he was in New Orleans. The role okay. he played in New Orleans because he was he bring the ball to court. He because he was he was in the vein of Juan Dixon. You didn't know if he was a point or a two. Right. He he didn't have a ball handle to be a point, but he didn't have a height to be a two. Right. But he could score, but he could still do something. The way he distributed the ball in New Orleans, I was like, okay, this is gonna stick for him. And they wound up trading him after like three years. But I used to I used to play 2K and I used to always say, if they take Gravis and just let him be a distributor. And he'll find his shot. He'll get his points. And all. He he could be a walking double-double. He could be a poor man's double-double, as I like to call it. 10 points, 10 assists. That's it. That's all I need. And then you build with that. Like Steve Blake made – well, Steve Blake had a 13, 14-year career being a true point guard. Yeah. And, you know, he, Steve Steve Blake don't back down from no wreck. Ask Chris McCray. So. Um, Joey – was it Joey Gilchrist? Yeah, yeah, that's who it was. Joey Gilchrist. It wasn't Chris McCray. It was Gilchrist that they got to fighting in, in practice. But he don't back down. That's why I love Steve Blake. I, I love Steve Blake something terrible, man, because he these are these are guards that I thought these guys, a Mellow Trimble and, and Akil Carr, I thought they were gonna be the next great ones to come out of Maryland. You know, they were gonna be the and mentioned when we talk about Maryland players, they were gonna be in the breath with the 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 uh, uh Adrian Branch and and, and the Lynn, Lynn Elmore and the Lynn Bias they were going to be in that talk right there the 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 Dumbar the Dumbar boys out of Baltimore you know Muggsy Bowes Re, uh, Reggie Williams David Wingate Reggie Lewis I thought he was going to be mentioned with those guys but I thought both of them were but it just didn't happen like that and that that tends <clears throat> to happen a lot when we talk basketball because you got you got to think about it you got 30 teams in the nba and you got so many talented players it's not that they couldn't play with these guys but you got so many talented players and i had a coach explain it to me like this and i'm sure you explained it this way too when you're in middle school you're the best yep. you go to high school now you got to start at the bottom and work your way to the top now you're the best in high school but then you go to the capital classic and everybody else is the best in high school too you go to college and everybody else is the best in high school. So you got to work and get outwork them. Then you get to the NBA and you got to outwork everybody in the NBA. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. So, well, I think I forgot who I was listening to, but they were on um, a show I was listening to. And they were like, yeah, you got the cream of the crop. Like you got guys that the 14th guy on the team, but he can still give you 30 on any given night. If he gets the opportunity and he gets the green light, mm-hmm. uh, I don't forget uh, we had the guard from UMass on the George Mason coaching staff, uh, not Padilla, but the other one. I can't think of his name now. It's slipping my mind. But um, he walked in the gym one day just on an open run, and he was shooting from the timeline or damn near half court, like spotting up. And I was, he was like, so think about, I mean, if you think about that level of shooter and he's not in the league, like he just missed the cut. Mm-hmm. So what's the dude in the league doing really? And I think all that has to come down to opportunity. I think like a guy like – perfect example is a guy like Jordan Poole. 
Jordan Poole got an opportunity to step outside of being a role player, and he gets more opportunities and more looks than the normal guy would. So that's the kicker right there. So it just it's one of those things where if you get your opportunity and you shine, like Jeremy Lin, another person, just in the right moment, right situation, he went on a hot streak, and I think he dropped 30 a couple times, and then we had Lin Sanity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw a name out there to you. And this is what changed my whole thinking. Me being a Bulls fan, a Bulls player from the area came down to ESPN zone once and I seen him shoot. And I mean, he wasn't shooting in the paint. He wasn't shooting mid range. He was shooting top of the key. And I'm talking about bottom of the net, bottom of the net, bottom of the net, no rim. And he hit three or four of these in in a row. Dickie Simpkins. Providence. Yes, sir. Friendly high school. Yes, sir. And the thing is, one of the coolest players I've ever met. And the simple fact that I met him being a Bulls fan. And he was he thought we were bullshit. And I was like, nah, I recited his nickname, what high school he went to, his birthday. I was like, dog, you six foot eight, you wear number eight, you did this, you did that. He's like, How do you know this? It's like I'm a Bulls fan. I know about all of y'all, man. All of y'all. And then he called the police to make sure keep an eye <laughs> on you. <laughs> but I that it changed my my perception of players in the NBA because you wouldn't think of Dickie Simpkins as a shooter, but the dude can shoot. Another guy you can talk about, um, Eastern half alum, uh, Georgetown alum, Lonnie Harrell. I mean, he could do it. You want to stay in the area? You got Lawrence Moton. He could yeah. do it. Like, it's just so many. Like, I think people don't understand the, the richness of the D.C. basketball history. If you here and you from here, you understand it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking, I'm not doing that DMV talk. I'm talking about DC. DC, yeah. I'm talking about the Spingons, the Easterns. Mm-hmm. I'm talking on that. And then when you add in the, the other areas, you still get great players like the Grant Hills and players like that. But yeah, this is a basketball rich area. And the sad part about it is the Wizards have never taken the opportunity to take advantage of the love for basketball in this area. That's why you got Hoya Paranoia. That's why you have Maryland thinking that they were on the same plateau as Duke because for that stretch, Maryland was the talk of the city, talk of the area. That's true. And the the, the crazy part about it, Hoya paranoia stretched across the country. People thought Georgetown was a HBCU. You go back, look at NWA, look at the rappers of the early nineties. They were wearing Georgetown gear. Yeah. And most people didn't even know where Georgetown was, but they were rocking Hoya gear. You knew who Big John was. You knew about Alonzo Mourning and 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 and, and uh, Patrick. You know, you knew all these things. The Kimbe. You know, it, it was the school of the big man, but you knew about it all across the country. Yeah, it was the school of the big man, and all the guards were dogs. And I mean, I remember back in the day. You might not be, you might be a little too young for the days where you got the um the basketball cards, the Georgetown Warrior cards, with um. You had like the Gene Smith and all them. It was a little card. It was like a collection of like what was it, fourteen guys? And you would get the card. Like you go to a certain store and you could get a card with something that you bought, like some bubble gum or something. Uh, yeah, Hoya paranoia was real, man. See, now you're gonna make me. You're gonna get me on eBay, and I'm about to spend all my dag on savings <laughs> on these damn cards, man. Yeah, that. And then they used to have the, the Redskin cards used to be like that too. Yeah, now the Redskin cards, I had it. I had a stack like this. And my godmother got them for me. She wouldn't never let me put them in my book. 
She was like, nope, they got to stay here because you're going to lose. I said, no, nah, I'm not going to lose none of these. I had, that's why I, I knew who Raven Caldwell was, uh, uh, Terry Mickens. I had the whole entire team. Everybody that played for the Redskins, I want to say it was in 89, the whole 89 roster, I had everybody. And I do mean everybody. And I, I, I to this day, I'm still trying to figure out where the hell those cars are. I don't know where they are. Wow. I don't know. And I, I, it hurts me because, you know, I'm a car collector. I just, I just, I opened my Hall of Fame pack. And the Hall of Fame pack was 50 cars and they were all Redskins. And not wow. Commanders, all Redskins. So, all right, so since we're going to start the transition into football, I, I got a question about that part first because you, you said something just now that kind of I'm kind of curious about now. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about an old player that played for this organization, you, you call them Redskin players or do you call them Commanders? Well, they never played for the Commanders. They played for the Redskins. Okay. Like, I can't say – and they said this uh, announcement, and we didn't talk about it, but uh, Dave Butts, mm-hmm. one of the strongest men in NFL, six foot eight. The stories that I heard about this man growing up always made me love him. So rest in peace to him and condolences to his family. They called him a commander's legend. No, he's a Redskins legend. So I think, I think in print and in national media circuits you have to disassociate the name um just because of the connotation and that's not what they're called now so in in the in the bigger world they're trying to keep it so you understand where we are now as opposed to what they were because you can't call them that anymore okay let me ask you this as as adverse then we're going to switch sports real quick what do you call Wes Unsell? Do you call him Washington Wizards legend at Wes Unsell? Or do you call him Washington Bullets legend? Wes Unsell. Bullets legend, but there's a difference. The difference was you're talking about a term that even though we don't all consider it inflammatory or a slur, in some, it, it, it had that connotation. So there's a difference by going back to that word than going back to a term bullets. Because really the only reason it was changed is because the violence in DC, right? Because they was talking about the crime in DC and all that. So that's kind of, yeah. I, I think there's a difference in that because the word doesn't have any, it doesn't have the same connotation or stigma stuff to it. I give you that one. I can't argue. I don't have an argument, so I'll give you that one. But no, no, I'll take that. That's fine. But I'm just saying, like, I, it's just a difference to me. Um, and, and, I would just and, see it that way. Here's my thing. I can't call somebody that never wore a command. That's like when they made the commander's John uniform. Riggins. And, you know, John Riggins like, don't put my number and my name on a command. I never played for the commanders. And I feel that. Yeah. That's that, that's I, like I, saying. I feel that. But if John's going to be. See, I honestly think there's more to that because I don't think John's um, last couple of years or interactions um, with the with the Dan Snyder and company went favorable. Just kind of like the Chris Cooley situation didn't end well. So I think John was more speaking from that vein than than the commander's vein. Because if you're a true diplomat for this team, like you would welcome them putting your name on the back of the jersey. Because now you're trying to you're helping them connect the history. You, you're you're helping the bridge. It, it, it's not 
It's, it's because this wasn't done willingly. Trust me. If you pay attention, you heard the radio. This yeah. wasn't done in a willing fashion. So you need, and this is why I appreciate guys like uh, Gary Clark and Art Monk and Daryl Green and Brian Mitchell because in this process, they've helped and they've adjusted and accepted the name much better than I thought they would. And they've done all these events. They've done all the little coming back, the homecoming and all that stuff. So that's why I feel like if John was really truly trying to help out because he's the person they need. Like, I think he hurt them more by saying, no, I don't want any part of this than accepting it. And then maybe some of those fans would be like, well, if John can do it, I'll try. <laughs> mm. So then since we're on this team now, what would you say if somebody, whoever the new owners are, they wanted to rebrand it completely differently because they don't like the name Commanders they want to start with their own. They want to get dissociate themselves so much from the era that was before that they want to change the name again. So then you'll have four names yeah, in a six-year stretch. And you have people wearing three different types of apparel the last three years switching to their fourth. Yeah, and here's my thing. Certain apparel shouldn't be worn to the games. I shouldn't go to a game and see an Alba Hainsworth jersey. I shouldn't go see a Trump candidate jersey. Okay, burn those. Those don't need to be here. Nah, dude, I seen what was it? It was a Lavernius Coles. Yeah, I seen one there of those. Was, um, Rod Gardner. Um, I think that's the last. That's the craziest I've seen is the Rod Gardner. I seen a kid with a oh Jesse Armstead. Mm. The ninety-eight. I think I seen a Dana Stubblefield once. Oh, and this was not. This is like a couple years ago. And it was still in great condition. I'm like, okay, you say so. But if they came in and they rebranded the team, I think it would be another rebrand. I can't go through that. I mean, I can't go through it because then you'll be the commander slash football team slash everything. Like, what you going to name us? The Amazonians? I mean, what? what? The Prime. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Somebody didn't say that, but no. Oh, and then what, what's our cheerleader's name going to be? The Primates? Something like that. I, you know, the Autobots. What? I, I don't know. If, if if it came down to the Primes and the Primates, that's a musical connotation. For those that don't know that they ain't musically inclined, then we'll get to the, we'll get into the meat of the show. The Primes became were part of the Temptations. That was Eddie Kendricks, Paul Williams, Paul oh, Osborne. The Primates became. The Supremes, that was their sister group. So that's why it would be a connotation that would be kind of funny for me because I'm a big Temptations fan. I would like to see that. But anyhow, um, Sunday, Washington falls to the Vikings. Almost won it. Was up 17-7. to And the Vikings came back, scored 13 points in, what, four or five minutes? Yep. Killed it. Uh, Kirk Cousins, 22-40, 265, two touchdowns and a pick. In his return to D.C., uh, Justin Jefferson killed it. Seven catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. T.J. Hawkinson, the shiny new toy, uh, nine catches for 70. Adam Thielen, three for 67. Uh, defensively, they got to uh, Taylor Heineke two, three, three times. And uh, Mr. Jordan Hicks 
led all tacklers for the Vikings with 12 tackles on the on our side. 15 to 28, 149, two touchdowns and a pick for Taylor Heineke. Brian Robinson, 13 carries, 44 yards. Antonio Gibson, 11 for 36. And I love how they balance that rollout with those two guys. Um, Amani Rogers with that run, that one for 24. That was a pretty damn run. I like that tight end, uh, that tight end ending around. It showed that Scott Turner could actually call a wrinkle that actually worked. Um, Taylor Heineke ran the, the read option. He had four carries for 17 yards. That spin move for that first down. I was like, oh, this boy is doing it. Uh, Curtis Samuel, three catches, 65 yards and a touchdown. And he caught a pass in triple coverage. Um, rolled into the end zone for the touchdown. Uh, Terry McLaurin, five catches, 56 yards for scary Terry. Dax Mill, one catch, six yards. I believe that was his first NFL touchdown. Cam Curl. Had 11 tackles, uh, eight solo, and we got to Kirk Cousins one, two, two times and actually got a couple of good licks on him. He was hurried and knocked down. I haven't seen that much pressure from the defense uh, the last couple of weeks. I haven't seen that type of defensive play in a long time. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to call him capital punishment anymore because when I call him capital punishment, uh, they wind up flubbing the finish. So your thoughts on this game? Where do you want to start, man? I got plenty. I got a lot. Run it um, all down to me. All right, so let's start at the quarterback position. I think Kirk Cousins showed you the difference between having a good quarterback and having a guy, just a guy. Um, I think if you take out that 49-yard prayer in the Hail Murray that was sent up to Jesus that came down and landed in Curtis Samuel's hands, I think Heineke only has like 100 yards passing without that one play, which is ridiculous. And then just the, the touch and the precision that what Kirk threw, those two touchdowns, one to Dalvin Cook, the other to Jordan Jefferson, or Justin Jefferson. Now, I apologize if I messed his name up. Um, those two plays just stood out to me as the difference between the quarterbacks, and I kind of felt if the game got tied up, we were going to have a problem because um, Heineke can give you all the magic. But at some point, it's got to come down to that, that, that arm and what you see um, in the play. Two, Scott Turner. Um, I think if they show the booth, he's got a wheel. And he spins the wheel, and the wheel, wherever it stops, is where he, what he calls the play as. Because I've never seen a coordinator. And I've been trying to stay off of this dude's back um, for a minute. I've tried to be positive about him, but I can't do it no more. I just... I can't because nothing connects. The Amani Rogers run comes up. Now you don't come back and maybe you go shotgun pistol and you've ran this before where the tight end comes in motion on some of those third and ones and you 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 run the sneak there. You know what I'm saying? With your tight end Amani Rogers, he's used to taking snaps, so it's not a problem. Then you don't come back to Curtis Samuels. Curtis Samuels, you hear him give him a handoff, he goes to 10 yards or 15 yards. You don't run the ball with him again. You got Logan Thomas. Unfortunately, this is on Haneke, but Logan's open twice. You you miss him. Uh, one becomes interception. One, you just it's, it's like little things that's not connected. And I don't see this playbook connected. Problem number, I don't know what problem I'm on, but my biggest problem is the offensive line. You got two guards and a center that can't move. 
you can't call a wide receiver screen or a screen with them running to the sideline because they can't get there. The water buffalo, Trey Turner, as um, that's his new nickname, the water buffalo. So you hear water buffalo, Trey Turner. He's coming out on a screen to Antonio Gibson. Gibson catches the ball. He gets whacked and spun by Trey Turner because his big ass is just getting out there. So, like, the decisions that made with this line and the fact that you got Chris Paul, I don't know if Paul can play or not, but he's got to be more athletic than, than both of these boys. Sadiq Charles gave you something. Your, your game, your screen game didn't suffer when, when Charles was on the, on the field. It's only suffered since Trey Turner's been there. I think they got to get Wes Weissel back, but the problem is I think his injury is more serious than we know, and that's why he's not coming back anytime soon. So that's the offense. I'll be pleasant now, the defense. I think I think BJ owes Deron Payne an apology for, for all his slander because Deron has played some ball. And, and, and I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think he's playing some ball. I think he and Allen played their best game this year. Um, I think this line was more dominant and more violent. And what I mean by that is they, when they cracked down to make those, um, those T and E stunts, like they was punishing whoever the guard was they was hitting or the center, they was punishing that dude. That dude's gonna be in the tub for sure. And Chris and and Kirk gonna be in the tub two two um tubs over because they beat him like nobody's business. Jamin Davis is playing good ball because they t- finally stopped telling them to think and said sick him. Now I do think. Is one place one more step that he has to take is when that running back blocks and you see him blocking, you gotta go. Don't think about it, just go. So that's the only thing that I see as a weakness for him. Secondary, my man Ben St. Juice played ball, did his thing, should have had an INT with a touchdown return. Um, I think the one thing that Everybody's forgotten the first three weeks of this team playing. Cam Curl wasn't on the field. This defense is a totally different defense when Cam Curl is on the field. Your one guy in your back seven that you can't lose anymore is Cam Curl, and it's going to show. The man plays everything. He does everything. He tackles everything. Cam Curl is the leader in the back seven or the back part of this defense, and without him – I don't think you see the gains that you've seen the last six, four weeks, the last five weeks. All right, I'm off my – I think that's in my soul. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry because I got to give you – it's three phases. I got to give you the third phase. I am loving our coverage teams. Percy Butler, Christian Holmes, um, Jeremy Reeves, whenever they throw Diami out there, like we have more speed. And this is something – if you know me, I've talked about this eons. We have more speed on our coverage team than I've ever seen before, and these guys come down with authority. They're either trying to punish you and get a good hit, or they're trying to execute and get the ball down to one. And last week was their first touchback on a punt going inside the five this season, and they still only have one. So that's that's it. That's the one that I definitely wanted to talk about. Like Our coverage team is playing some ball. Now, we can get a punt returner. Whew. I'm gonna ask a question. You can flip the field. I'm gonna ask you a question because uh, he had a good return. Would you put Antonio Gibson back there? 
I don't know. See, the difference with punts and kicks. True um, indeed. I, if he hasn't done it, then I don't want him to do it. And that might be um, some post-traumatic syndrome from Steven Sims. Uh, that's why whenever somebody asks me about Dax Mill, I just say he catches the ball. Like, that's the only thing. As long as he catches the ball, right now I'm happy because Steve Sims didn't do that for a while. And he's doing it now in Pittsburgh, but maybe they got him some contact lenses or something. I don't know. But don't don't everybody leave here and get uh get 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 laser surgery, i.e. Carlos Rogers. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I don't know, man. Well, so that's pretty much all I had. I mean, I know it was a lot, but like, that, that's good because I don't have anything. You know, I'm just <laughs> I'm disappointed, and I'm not. I, I'm like I don't have anything because they played a, a well game. It's like they it, it normally it's a shit game to the last five minutes. Then they play very, very well this week. It was very, very well. Then you went to shit with the last five minutes. I, just, well, I mean, I think the turnover, I mean, I think somebody said it might've been B Mitch this week. He's just like, yo, sometimes when the turnover happened is more important than having the turnover itself um, by itself. Because if it's, if you're, you throw four touchdowns and the last pass you throw is an interception, Everybody will hop on the interception, not on the four touchdowns. And it amazes me how this fan base continues to want to hold on to this guy, Haneke. I mean, he gives you energy. He he's he's a he's gutsy, he's gritty, but we need we need a quarterback. We need a quarterback that can that actually make plays happen. He's he left too much on the field this week. Um uh, Leave Shane Falco alone. I gotta like he's gonna make me re-establish my all twenty-two because I'm. I don't think Scott Turner's as bad as a coordinator as he as Taylor Heineke makes him look. Leave Shane Falco alone because he got miles and miles of heart. He does, but you can't. And he, heart he, don't he, win enough ball games. His I get that. Is one forty-nine. Here's the thing, everybody. And I'm not going to say everybody. A lot of people in the fan base talk about, oh, you know, get rid of Heineke. We need something better. Y'all said that last season. We got Wentz. You get Wentz. He's a shiny new toy. He has that one good game, and then all of a sudden we lose four straight. Yeah, he's not. But this is who you, you want. You got to shoot. Thing. Here's the thing. When Wentz, when that Wentz trade happened, so many people were in the 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 the, the, the in the fan base is like oh we got a quarterback now we gonna do we got a quarterback now your shiny new toy broke now you don't you, you don't want to talk about that no more this is what you wanted you got what you wanted you won't you ain't happy now see, well, see the difference what's gonna make you happy but the difference in that conversation is people didn't want wins they wanted a better quarterback they got stuck with wins saw the big arm and thought that you could get something out of this now you realize that Philly fans weren't lying to you. Indianapolis fans weren't lying to you. It's a roller coaster. This guy runs in the sacks. Mm. You want to you want to know my true. I don't want to see. I don't want to see a quarterback that can't throw for two hundred yards consistently. Like this dude is, like he hovers around two five two oh five. That's not good. That's telling me we're not converting. That's telling me we're not moving the chains. So something has to happen. I get that. You want to see my true reaction to Carson Wentz? Go over to our TikTok page, Sideline Junkies. You can see my true reaction to Carson Wentz. Okay. I mean, I'm so, not doubting you. I mean, I don't think. No. I think, I know I think not Carson Wentz was thrown, thrown on us because they got to a point where they kept saying, we need a quarterback, we need a shiny toy. And 
Um, it was two o'clock. They was drunk, and there was one chick left in the bar, and you had to make it happen because you had to come home with somebody. Well, speaking of which, and we're talking about that other team, the Indianapolis Colts. Now, this news came out with Frank Reich being fired. I was already pissed off with him being fired because I'm a big proponent of Frank Reich, big supporter. I've loved Frank Reich since early 90s, being Jim Kelly's backup. A lot of people, you know, older, they know him from Maryland. He is he, he's, he's truly the comeback kid, largest comeback in college football history, largest comeback in NFL history. He holds both records. Um, I always thought he got his shot as a player too late in his career as a starter. But one thing we talk about the K gun offense, he could run that K gun offense just like Kelly. So he was fired. They hired Jeff Saturday. And I asked this question, didn't ask it a lot. I said, I wanted to make a video, but I was like, you know what? I'm too emotional right now. How can you fire a man who's three, five and one this season? Only had a steady quarterback one time, and that was uh, uh, Andrew Luck. 16 games. After Andrew Luck, he's had Jacoby Brissett, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, uh, uh, Sam Ellinger, and uh, it was another quarter. He's had five quarterbacks, five. And they're, I believe- the only, they're the only other team besides us that started a new quarterback every year since, like, 2018. Now, here's my thing. You haven't went out and got him a new court. Now, when Andrew Luck retired, Andrew Luck retired during the preseason. Right. Right then and there, when he retired, you knew it was done. You should have known from the past, Jim Ursay, front office. You should have known from the past what would happen. Because when Peyton Manning decided that he wanted to come back and play and y'all released him, Y'all had nobody to fill that gap, to bridge the gap, because you never drafted a quarterback to take Peyton's place. You never drafted for this. So you had to lose, and you had to suck for luck. You suck for luck in 2011. You got luck in 2012. You never put a line in front of him. You put uh, uh, Quentin Nelson, and you got a couple of other people, but you couldn't protect luck. So Nelson Nelson gets there right as luck leaves. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they if they crossed, it was only his rookie year. He didn't he wasn't there long that long. And here's the thing. You didn't learn anything from when Peyton left? Because you, you had to suck for luck to get a quarterback. Three years. Three years you had the opportunity to try to draft the quarterback instead of getting Carson Wentz. Or, or and well, everybody thought Carson Wentz was gonna work out because of Frank Reich and Carson Wentz relationship in Philadelphia. Phillip Rivers. Philip Philip Rivers is the other quarterback I couldn't think of. Philip Rivers. So you've had three retrade quarterbacks in a row. Carson Wentz, Philip Rivers. No, I'm sorry. Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. You've had three retrades in a row. And everybody has said it. Before Matt Ryan left Atlanta, Matt Ryan was done. 28 to 3 did him in because he's never been the same. Philip okay. Rivers was 75 years old when he played. And he still had more balls than any other quarterback that you had since Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. And he, if I'm not mistaken, that was a Pro Bowl season, his final season. I love which, which should have never been his final season because he should have still been the man out in San Diego. I'm sorry, in L.A. with the Chargers mentoring a young Justin Herbert. But they put him out the pasture. He goes out 11 and five. 
Now, if he can go out there and do 11 and 5 with Phillip Rivers and th- another dude, miles and miles of heart, you fire him just like the same way you fired Jim Caldwell for having a bad season with no quarterback. You fired him because you didn't provide. You didn't provide the groceries for him to cook, so you fired him. Yet again, then you hired Jeff Saturday, who is a consultant and an ESPN analyst. Make that make sense, please. Thanks for taking my call. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> I thought you was going to let me have some leeway before we got into that. So, Indianapolis quarterback situation, I think Indy and their owner thought that they were a quarterback away. So, instead of taking the time to develop a quarterback, I think they felt like you could take a quarterback, put him in the system, and you're going to win. And they I mean, I think Frank Reich has a winning record. So it's not like Reich has, has sucked with these multiple different quarterbacks. I think he's, if memory serves me correctly, he's 50, 33, and 1, something like that. So that's a great number. I'd love to have a coach that was 50, 33, and 1 here. I mean, good go to God. But I digress. So the Jeff Saturday hire. So we must have been um, – in the same thought process because when I saw it, I almost wanted to get mad, but then I didn't because this is the microcosm of America. This is our world that we live in. A guy who has no experience gets the top job on a team. He's never done this. He's never coached anywhere. Never. And then you tell me that an Eric B. Enemy, well, he hasn't called enough plays for himself because Andy Reid calls the plays, or he doesn't have enough experience. So which one is it? Because I can't, you can't tell me on one hand, this guy doesn't have enough experience. And then on the other hand, be like, oh, we hired this guy to be head coach and we're just going to let it ride. Like, there's got to be some semblance of balance. And that's the part that's bothered me this whole thing is you took a guy from ESPN. You have him on a staff with two other head co- former head coaches, Gus Bradley and John Fox. You had a Madden tournament probably because you fired the offensive coordinator two weeks ago. Now you fired the coach. So probably there was a Madden tournament in the locker room amongst the coaches to see who's going to call plays for the offense this year. And we got some guy, Parker, Ryan, Riley, whatever his name is. He's the assistant QB coach. So, that also further tells me the dysfunction in your hierarchy. How will you go past your RB coach, past your O-line coach, past your wide receiver coach, past your quarterback coach, and get his assistant to call the plays? And the plays are the most important thing. And now they're going to – they're going – I don't I, – I don't get it. Um – I really think that the person that should have been fired should have been Ballard. He's put together, he's taken care of most of the other positions on this team with some kind of success. The only place he hasn't had success is the offensive line is struggling and he's stunk at picking quarterbacks. And I don't know what their receiving core is now because, I mean, without T.Y., I think Paris Campbell's there, but Paris Campbell can't stay healthy. Um, they got my man Alex Pierce, who's made some big plays for him. But 
I mean, you got Sam Ellinger at quarterback. He's a poor man's Taylor Haneke. I'm good. I'm done. I ain't got nothing else. I think I, I think I left some bullets. I think I left some soap in the soapbox. I think we good. Uh, you, you you lucky. I can't find what I'm looking for. I can't find the overlay that I'm looking for. Oh, uh, up here I guess. Poor man's Taylor Heineke. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is a joy running the board. I couldn't remember where I put it. I found it. But I'm I'm with you. I'm not happy with that. Not at all. Um, so many people have been overlooked for the, with this hire, and I think it, it's, it's it's absolute bullshit. So, not, not, I'm not even going to do me, it. The thing that scares me the most, though, is if he had any. And I said this on Facebook. I don't know if I said it in the group or just on my page, but if he has any level of success, this just widens the gap between an African-American coach getting a chance. Let me say it this way. I'm going to say it better. An African-American with a a path and a resume versus a white coach that just knows somebody, it's going to widen that gap. I mean, I thought we had hit the apex when a special teams coach got the job over – um, the black coaching candidates, the Brian Flores, the Eric B. Enemies of the world, um, even the Jim Caldwells of the world. But now we got, we've had like Sirianni. We've had, um, well, Staley was a defense coordinator. But I think um, you have other guys that were like special teams guys. And it's just like, it just doesn't make sense to me in this process. Like you're telling me one thing, but you're doing something completely opposite. Sorry, man. No, don't be sorry because you're absolutely right. And we all, I, myself, the boss BJ, and the boss BJ more than myself, has said that the Rooney Rule needs to be redone because it's it's just it's a farce now. You got guys, you got a black assistant on the on the, on the uh on the staff. You bring him in for an interview. All right, we satisfied the Rooney Rule. We're gonna hire the guy we want. We have no intention of hiring you, but we're gonna interview you anyway. Oh, the um, oh, what's his name? The DB coach that was here. Um, God, I can't think of his name. He had an interview with Snyder. I don't even, I mean, I joke about it. I was like, they like talked over coffee and like Dan went back to the office and checked off the Rooney Rule. Said, I interviewed this guy. I don't even know if the guy thought he was being interviewed, man. Yeah, I, remember. I can't think I of his name, but I remember. I remember, I remember who it was. I don't remember who it was, but I remember what you're talking about because we were all up in arms about it. Like, why would you interview that man if you had no choice? You had no intention of hiring him. Don't bring me in for an interview if you don't really consider me for the position. I am not your token me. black. Hmm? They got to check that box off. I, I, I am not your token black. I am not the black guy that you can say, well, I'll give you a job, but you're just not getting a head job. If I'm qualified for the job and I interview for it, don't bring me in unless you really want it. You really seriously want me to take this job. But that's the that's the place where this situation has these coaches over. Like we always talk about um, like the Alvin Gentries of the world that they get interim jobs with bad teams or they get jobs with bad teams. And we're like, why are you taking this job? Well, they're taking that job because that's their only opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, and you then- put Steve Wilkes <laughs> in a situation where um, 
he had Josh Rosen, and then once you figured out Rosen couldn't play, you never gave Steve Wilkes, Wilkes a second year. You had um, Raheem Morris in Tampa Bay when Tampa Bay's owners, the um, the Glaciers, they were going through stuff overseas with the soccer team, so they weren't spending any money on the NFL team. They didn't have any free agents they brought in. It was all draft picks and other stuff for Tampa Bay. Raheem Morris struggled his last year. They fired him. The very next year, they hired whoever they hired. I forgot the next coach. Um, but that guy, they brought in free agents all of a sudden. They could all of a sudden spend money. Like these, I feel bad because um, these coaches get put in bad situations and then you fire them. Um, Bo Porter, perfect example. Bo Porter was made to sit through those 100 loss seasons in Houston. The second Houston got good, they went and got A.J. Hinch. And then they went, they went on this run. I think I'm going off topic. No, you're not, because it's a good segue. Because this is just terrible. It's like we're, we're putting – you put one coach in a bad situation, and then you set him up to fail, and then when he fails, you get mad at him. Agreed. Like you're not firing the GM. You're firing the head coach. And it's like, well, I didn't pick this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You brought up a name, and we talk about him all the time. We talk about Alvin Gentry. Alvin Gentry was fired in New Orleans as the Pelicans head coach. He didn't have Zion. AD was gone. Uh, most of their team was decimated by injury. He had a losing season. They fire him. You bring in the next guy. Now, all of a sudden, you got championship hopes. You can't keep doing that. Yeah. Tony Dungy getting fired in, 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 in Tampa Bay. John Gruden coming in and winning with Tony Tony Dungy guys. And it hurt my heart to hear Warren Sapp. He didn't say anything bad. It just hurt my heart to to hear him say, if you watch the America's game talking about the 2002 Buccaneers, and he said, you know, the difference between Tony Dungy and, and, and Gruden is Tony Dungy, you know, he was focused on the defense. He didn't really care about the offense. I think Tony Dungy cared about the team as a whole, but he delegated. Number one. Number two, he said, well, you walk in in the morning and Tony Dungy, you know, hey, how you doing and everything all right? How's your family? Tony Dungy was just so nice, but John Gruden was, you know, I'm going to get your ass today. Dog, that does not make him a better coach. Number one, Tony Dungy did not have a quarterback. He had Trent Dilfer, Sean King. He got you to the NFC Championship game with those guys. He didn't have a whole offense. He had a brilliant defense. He didn't have a whole offense. You fire Tony Dungy. You go out, you get Brad Johnson. You get uh, uh, Keenan McCardell. You had Keyshawn. You had uh, uh, Joe Jervis. You had this nice team put together. Y'all win the Super Bowl. That's Tony. And I always say Tony Dungy deserves a ring for that Super Bowl because those are his guys. We see it time and time again, and it's about to happen. But now the shade is a little bit lighter, so now the outrage is going to start. You got a good coach in Frank Wright, who was, yeah, he was one and two in the playoffs. But like you said, no, he's 40 and 33 overall. 40 and 33. All right. And you fire him for three, five, and one season. He has not had a losing season. First, I'm sorry, he had one losing season. So, and that was first year, 10 and six, seven and nine. The second year, that was because he didn't have no quarterback. He had luck and luck was gone. 11 and five with Phillip Rivers, nine and eight with Wentz. 
three and five and one with Matt Ryan, who he, whom he benched. Say that. What was that second year? It was seven or nine with what? Jacoby Brissett. I believe it was Jacoby. God, I believe that's what it was. Seven and nine, and only Ooh. third in the division. Well, that division is part of the reason why the Giants got seven wins, um, or six wins. But I already did my picks, and Giants got seven in my head because I don't see them losing to whomever they're playing. Like, I think the difference in our record is the fact that the Washington team hasn't taken advantage of those opportunities. Agreed. But back to the coaching carousel, I just think there's um, we're getting to a scary part where the ignorance or the ignoring of or even the lack of hiring black coaches is going to become even more common because you have ample reasons now to not do it and you can get away with it. I got no rebuttal because it's the truth. So like that I mean because I don't remember any any repercussions. Like I haven't heard of a guy a team getting a draft pick taken. And if it happened then I missed it and I apologize. And I need to be better on that. But like I don't remember the severe draft pick being taken away. Like that second round that first round pick being taken away for something like this. And it's not this situation, but because you don't have to use the Rooney World rule for the interim coach. Right. So you don't have to worry about that in that situation. But just the blatant, like, I'll take that guy. Meanwhile, you got, like, a, a whole line and sea of um, black qualified coaches in front of you. It's like if you ever did the pickup game and it's, like, 20 guys on the court, but somebody picks the guy all the way in the back shooting layups at the other end of the court, and he's looking around like, who, me? Yeah. And so. speaking of black coaches and sports and managers, congratulations to Dusty and the Astros. Mm. I think that's what made it sweet. Dusty Baker winning a World Series championship as a coach after being close so many times. That's what made it sweet. And even though it was Houston, and I got beef with Houston, but I ain't got no beef with Dusty. So congratulations to Dusty. I know you got Dusty stories. So, I mean, you know, we, we got a little bit of time before we get up out of here. What you got on Dusty and, the, and these Astros? Do you think they can repeat? I mean, I'm already talking repeat, and they just won earlier this week. But what you think? Well, I think what happens with Verlander, um, that's a, that's something they got to think about. They got to think about Mancini because I think he's a free agent this year. I mean, I know I'm not talking about the world beaters of the team, but I'm talking about guys that filled roles. Um, I don't know what their – I don't remember what their complete picture is on the back end of their rotation. Um, but Houston has done one thing that the Nats failed to do. And that was as your talent left out, you replaced it with still quality talent. Perfect example is Carlos Correa goes to Minnesota. You bring Jeremy Pena up, and Jeremy Pena wins you the World Series MVP. Um, can they repeat? I don't see why not. Because if I look in their division, the Angels are going to have two of the best players in the division, but they can't win over 60 ball games or 70 ball games unless by hook or crook, Anthony Rendon stays healthy. I just don't see it, and they don't have enough pitching. 
Um, Oakland is going to Oakland. Uh, Texas is going to spend money and still not be able to come up with anything tangible on the field. Uh, and then, yeah, that's their four. So, uh, yeah, that's their whole division. So that's that's not a worry. Um, if you go to the Central, nobody in the Central wants to know how to rebuild a ball club. So Cleveland will still stay on top. And Minnesota and Chicago will fight for second. But I think that's going to be Minnesota's spot, um, especially if they can bring back Correa. In the East, um, the Yanks, I mean, it'll be the same three, the Yanks, Rays, and the Red Sox. And I think if the Orioles can land this top-line starter and the mid, mid-level mid starter, then they might jump in that conversation. So doing all that math in my head, you probably right. They'll be the contenders or the, um, they'll be the World Series favorites for next year. I did a lot of long math there to get to that point, but, yeah, that's, that sounds right. That that's what baseball is. That's what baseball is. Like that's why I learned how to do long division. So um last but not least, because we got we we up against it and we got to get up out of here. 17 years ago today, I didn't want to wait till Saturday for that. We saw the great Eddie Guerrero wrestle his last match against Mr. Kennedy. And unfortunately, five days later, his nephew Chavo found him in his hotel room. Uh he was still alive, but he was on his way out, and we lost Eddie Guerrero 17 years ago. And the the I always listen. I always use a quote that I heard from uh, Michael Wilbon talking about limb bias. He said, "Certain times, sometimes you look at death, and that's how you, you. It's certain deaths that help you mark time. You know, everybody knows where they were at when President Kennedy was assassinated. Everybody knows where they were at." When uh, Lynn Bias died, everybody knows where they were at when September 11th happened. You know, it's certain things that happen and you mark time with them. Eddie Guerrero, his death is one of those times because of the repercussions, the ripple effect, as the People's Choice Don Rodriguez says. And maybe we need to do a what if on Eddie Guerrero in the near future. But the, the ripple effects of his death. Had it not happened, I don't think we would have got the Benoit tragedy. I don't think a lot of things would have happened outside of the ring as well as in the ring. And WWE, man, I don't think Batista would have left. I don't think, you know, just a lot of things that just I don't think would have happened. But that's just my opinion. And Batista, that's a curious one that you mentioned. What do you mean you don't think Batista would left because of Eddie? Because you remember, and I'm sure you do, the rapport, the chemistry that Batista and Eddie had. Okay. Okay. And it seems like if you could have kept that going, you could have kept Batista fresh. Even if he left and he went to make moves, you still would have kept him fresh. Because it, him and Eddie was pure comedy. That was comedy. But it was also mutual respect. And they work well together against each other. They work well together together. So, you know, it's like that working relationship. And it's it's like when you have that, that driving force, you more, more concerned with staying with that driving force than going off to pursue other projects. That's just my opinion, but just, that's just me. And of course we know the, 
the ripple effect of the Benoit tragedy. Yeah, because Chris Benoit took Eddie's death hard. And uh, 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 Vicky said that, you know, he would come to the house and he would sit on Eddie's side of the bed and he would hold Eddie's pillow and cry because that's his best friend. You know, when you lose somebody that's more than a best friend, that's family. That's that's a rough that's a rough road. And I'm 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 not excusing anything. I'm 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 being a human right now. Because people always say things about Chris Benoit, and I always ask the same question that my cousin asked me. Were you there? If you weren't there, don't sit there and speculate because they don't even know what happened. Nobody knows what really happened. So don't sit there and speculate. I think I think Benoit's story is truly just a story about grief. Um and like how the world doesn't accept or anticipate grief. Uh, grief is a real thing. Grief is like grief should be right up there behind depression. When you, if you, if you, if you're being honest with yourself, and I say that because grief will change a person's demeanor. It will change your outlook on life. It will change everything. It, it almost should. I'm not, I'm not gonna say it should be, but it should be close enough to where it's a, um, a, a disorder. Mm-hmm. It should be in that in that range because um, just the way people come back from some people don't come back from grieving a parent, grieving a loved one, um, like your life changes. And I think you know people say things like "oh, get over it," like move past it. And I don't I don't think they understand. And I always tell people like if somebody says, "Oh, he gotta get over it." My first question is, "Tell me who's the closest person you lost." And I say that because I need to know what your grading scale is. Because if you lost your mom or dad and you weren't close to them, you're on a whole different grading scale than this person that had their mom and their dad and, and things like that. And I'm not going to go off on a tangent on this, but back to Eddie. I think Eddie, for me, I liked him in WCW, but I loved him in WWE. Um, I love the whole bad guy. I love the whole stick where he would throw the chair to you and fall down and get the rest attention. I love the Latino heat. Um, I really thought that WWE missed it a little bit with them because it was Eddie Perry Saturn, um, Benoit, and it was one other. Um, Dean Malenko. The man of a thousand holes. Yes, indeed. Um, so I thought they miscasted that group when they first got over. And, and I thought a lot of that was Vince's bias. I thought Vince had this bias of if you didn't come through the company, then you don't get the shine. I'm going to put you in a comedy role. And then if you kill the comedy, then you can come over and be real. And I think that's what happened with Eddie. I think Eddie killed the comedy part, came over, and then he got his just desserts by winning at WrestleMania. Um, I think that's probably one of I know I didn't see that WrestleMania, but I know I I remember like checking the the um the internet for it because I was just like Eddie was my guy. He was one of my guys. I would definitely put him in that category. I watched that live. Watched it live, and I one of the best matches I've seen. And you talk about Eddie and uh, WCW, LWO. You know, right when he came over. I remember when he uh he dislocated his elbow with a frog splash. I, it was on SmackDown, and he was out for a little bit. And I think that's what kind of 
took the radicals down. Then they start sending Perry Saturn to play with a, a mop. And, yeah. <sighs> Dave Malenko wound up the light heavyweight champion that was never, you know, nobody really defended that title. That title really had no weight. I mean, it was either, I think he beat Gilbert for it. He yeah. put Gilbert in the Texas Cloverleaf and beat him for it. And if you really want to be serious, and for those that are deep in the WWE, your most notable light heavyweight champion in WWE, outside of Dean Malenko, Christian, Takamich Nuku, Dwayne Gill, Gilbert. That's your three wow. top light heavyweight champions. Yeah. That, that that shows you that that title had no no place in WWE because they didn't take it serious. Well, they have this issue of having titles and having these rings, but either the title isn't defended or there's no they don't put a story around it. Uh, thankfully, they put the belt on Seth Rollins for the U.S. title, so he's brought back the open challenge. Maybe that'll catch some legs. Um, I probably couldn't tell you who the Intercontinental title is holder is right now. Um, and that's kind of sad because those are the belts that are meant to be defended on regular TV. Like, that's their job. Like, that's the main event. Like, the one thing I used to always love about, and I, I think this is why I loved NWA back in the day more than WWF, was I knew at probably, what, 946, 947, that there was going to be a 15-minute time limit TV title match that's probably going to end, but I'm not going to see the end of it because the show's going off and they don't have enough time, or there's going to be a finish right in the last three seconds of that moment, and boom, and that's how the show ended. We went, to, we always faded the black because we had to get to the Braves game or whatever whatever was next. And, and I think that's the, one of the issues I've always had. That and their tag titles, I, I, I don't understand what they do. But um, – Back to Eddie. There's a great story. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but it's um, Matt Hardy is doing an interview, and he's talking about he and Eddie. Um, they had this. They were on. They were doing the live circuit, so they were given twenty minutes. So the no, no, they were given fifteen minutes. So the guy will come to him, whoever the matchmaker is. Hey, I got you and Eddie tonight. Um, I need you to go fifteen minutes. Only fifteen minutes. So they get out there, start doing stuff, boom, boom, boom. And he was like, Eddie just had a natural feel for how to end a match. And Eddie would go through this and do this. And then he's like, yo, let's, let's finish it up. And they get back to the back. And he was like, it was 22 minutes. And he's only to go 15. Next night, they do the same thing. They go 22 instead of 15. The third night, he's like, look, you got to go only 15 because – they like after the second match, the WWE can't refund or doesn't have to refund the customer because somebody didn't show up. So he was like, I need you to only go 15 because we can't have these people trying to get a re- uh, refund. Same thing. Aiden, I'm sorry, going boom, 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 back and forth, 22 minutes. So the dude just lost it on him. But that's just kind of how Eddie was. Eddie was, he was just talking about how natural Eddie was where he could tell in a moment what the crowd was feeling, what the heat was, what, what the turning point, like how to manipulate the match to keep you engaged the whole time. And I think that's a lost – it's not a lost art, but I, I think it's far and few between with a lot of guys. And that's one of the things I appreciate that Triple H kind of bringing back. 
I love that. I love that. I think I remember that story, but you told it better than what I remember. So <laughs> I'll take that. And I'll say this. And I, I always say this, and it's a tagline that everybody always uses. You know, we lie, we cheat, we steal. Yes, sir. Eddie Guerrero, you lied, you cheated, and you stole our hearts. 17 years later, we still talk about the greatness of Eddie. That storyline with Rey Mysterio, where he was saying he was Dominic's father. Yes, yes. The 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 Latino, he, him in China, oh my God. I loved him in China. I loved it because it was something. It was good, but I always say it, what could have been. Just what could have been. God. <sighs> we didn't went well over what we supposed to. Uh oh, I lost. And my the funny mind. thing was, before we started, you were like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Yeah, okay." It always happens this way, man. It does. It does. And you know, uh. <laughs> once, once we get the tangent or that other topic, it's just yeah, it's, it's no way to get around it. Yeah. So, final thoughts before we go. I guess um, I'm just still nervous about how, where this goes when it comes to um, Saturday. Um, the Commanders, I'm just nervous about Monday because uh, I mean, we got to score more than 17 at some point. I think we're on a six or seven game stretch. I mean, on a stretch where the number for Haneke is 17. That's his apex, and that's not good. You got to get to at least 24. Joe Gibbs used to say three touchdowns and a field goal. Give me that every time, and I, I should be giving you a W. So I'm going to go with old Joe on this. And then, um, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. And speaking of Joe Jackson Gibbs, uh, prayers and condolences go up to his family. Lost his son, Coy, uh, earlier this week. What was that, uh, Saturday night in the Sunday morning? Something like that, yeah. Uh, after his grandson uh, won the uh, won the race on Saturday night, so that's both the coach Joe's sons gone. Uh, tough, tough, Coy, tough, tough. Coy was the one that went to Stanford, and the other one got sick, right? Yeah, JD. I think JD JD was sick. I think I yeah, he got sick real bad, and yeah, he had a, a a brain disorder. I just read it the other day, and I was like, yeah, I remember that. Cause I remember Coy on on the coaching staff on during Gibbs yeah. two point yeah, you know, and it's it's crazy because we talk about Redskins family and we've lost two people from the family already, so, and that that's just this week, but man, it's been a rough week. So uh, does Joe get in the talk of being in the ownership group again? Ownership group again, yes, because you know that was the talk for a little bit. He had he had put in a bid actually in '99, he was a part of, the, of a group that had a bid in, and they wound up getting outbid. And I mean, it's 20 years later, he's got a little bit more cash. Oh, he got a lot more cash, and oh, he's I know. I was being sarcastic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that would be a good idea because. He he knows what he has his finger on the pulse and he knows what the town wants. I think it's just more so. I think this city needs like they need a group hug. And I know Snyder Lee's gonna be part of it, 
but I need something else to finish that hug to make to kind of heal some of the wounds that that's happened over the last um 23 30 years whatever it is um, well, if DC gets a new mayor that new mayor first order may be saying hey come home all depends on the owner <laughs> the team I, I, I I'm still very doubtful on that and I apologize for my doubt I just don't like the city council but that's a whole different story <sighs> that's a pin you gotta put a pin in that because I'll go off for days on that uh, th- there it is so for the Midnight Rider, I'm the big guy, KG. I can't say we don't do no overtime because we actually did. We we went over, but it's all good. Um, For all the junkies, it's on, on special assignment. Uh, Have a good night. Hopefully to see you, everyone back on Thursday for Thursday Night Football and whatever news comes up because we got some things in the works that we're trying to get done. And uh, me, myself, I got to get better at interacting with the fans. And, and, and trying to get these posts out here because I got a lot of thought-provoking posts that come from all over. So I want to hear what everybody got to say. So until next time, we out of here.